0: The Incomparable is brought to you by Bizarre New World, a new graphic novel that you can get as part of a Kickstarter that ends May 28th. So act now. Go to bizarrenewworld.com for more information. That's B-I-Z-A-R-R-E, newworld.com, for more info. This is a comic that's similar in tone to Back to the Future. It's a comedy fantasy grounded in the real world. There are no superheroes, capes, aliens, or genies and lamps, but there are flying people. In fact the entire premise of Bizarre New World is what if everyone else got the ability to fly one day? That's what it's all about. There's a regular guy named Paul. He's the world's first flying man. He's very excited about it, but very rapidly he discovers everybody else can fly too, and that's when the world changes. It's a completely finished 278-page graphic novel, so check it out. Go to BizarreNewWorld.com. The Kickstarter ends May 28th.
1: (laughs) The Incomparable, number 248, May 2015.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, we are reconvening at long last for another class from Professor Syracuse, who is going to tell us uh, about anime and, and, and expand our minds, just as he did in an episode Uh, It's hard to believe two years ago when John assigned uh, Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress to us. He's back now with Anime 102 featuring Ghost in the Shell, the film, as well as the standalone complex TV series. Hello, Professor Syracuse. How are you tonight? You know,
1: this whole 101, 102 course progression thing i think we're finding out where your limit is and it's actually apparently halfway through with course 102 yeah yeah this is this a weed
2: out course is this what we've just Mm -hmm. experienced
1: Uh, uh, apparently i thought this was i knew this would be more challenging (laughs) but i figured that jason would at least make it into 103 but no
2: i think jason is not real his future as an anime major is uh maybe (laughs) his future may be in the past that's what i'm pretty
0: much auditing this course So that that voice that you heard is Tony Sindelar. Hi Tony. Hi Jason. And Erica Ensign also is enrolled in this class.
3: Hello. Yeah, actually I I had to test into it. So I'm I'm just hoping that uh, yeah,
0: you got some AP credit that you right. uh, you put mm-hmm. you put toward this. There's no way we can burn this metaphor down. What I would say is I I anticipated as I did the last time being able to watch some of this while I was traveling and on long airplane fi- flights, but it's very difficult to watch anime on the airplane
2: because of the boobs. <laughs> I I thought you were going to say subtitles, but that answer is also correct.
1: you need some VR goggles, maybe?
2: Yeah.
3: Whatever. I watched this in the food court at the mall. I didn't have any yeah, problem well, who, with it.
0: I mean, the mall, that's pretty much a lost <laughs> cause anyway. Who's going to judge you at the mall? But I was trapped in the same. You can get up and leave if you're embarrassed on an airplane. That's <laughs> true. You, you can't do that. So I, I did actually watch a big chunk of Ghost in the Shell on the plane, and then I got to the part where at the end where the the shirt gets ripped off and i was like okay i'm just gonna watch the rest of this later
3: yeah i didn't watch the movie at the mall
0: yeah i watched so i watched the movie and i i watched uh two episodes of the tv show that's 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 what i managed so that's there you go professor you can grade me you can give oh, me a d minus
1: two out of 26 what is that <laughs> not
0: good. not good
2: what
1: are you talking about we're going for a
0: low score right this
2: is like golf it's not. I mean, it's like with assigned reading. It's not about how much of the reading you did. It's how many pages can you fill in the paper. That's all yeah. that matters. <laughs> it's how many spark notes you read. Yeah. So, so Jason, if you can talk for an hour and a half about those two episodes, you're good. Nope.
3: <laughs> <laughs> His margins are going to be really, really wide. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I. Yeah. I. Yeah. I should have. Damn. I should have bought the cliff notes. I'm sure I could have done that. But it's too late now. Or Schmoop. Or Schmoop. We could do, get some Schmoop, Some spark notes. Get them in there. Uh, Monarch Notes, Andy Anaka would have us believe. So, John, can you explain to us a little bit about why
1: you selected this for Anime 102? Well, so Ghost in the Shell the movie is one of the sort of pillars of modern anime. Uh, And I think it's a a great jumping-off point for two reasons. One, because you want to, like, let's look at this classic that everybody talks about that is so influential on so many uh, newish anime fans. Uh, And I think it's interesting because it is in my opinion not really overrated like it is correctly rated it's actually very very influential and also very good and i liked it because there was a tv series spinoff and that provides an interesting contrast like you have this this a movie that's very popular and very influential how do you turn that into a tv series what does that look like um is it as successful as the movie in what ways does it have to be different uh and they're both commonly called Ghost in the Shell, and there was a bunch of other seasons of the television series after that. But just looking at this influential movie and this television series spinoff, I think, is uh, really interesting and instructive. Uh, and I wish you'd watch more of the TV series, because there's a lot of good contrast there. But even, if, even though you didn't, uh, just the movie in itself has a lot of stuff to dig into, and the television series is mostly interesting, I think, uh, in a, a format contrast, and uh, thematically it covers a lot of the same ground.
0: Is there something about this uh, franchise or the film, in, in, in specifically, that made it that made it jump out as like compared to other anime that you could watch? I mean, you had to s- watch the Satoshi Kon stuff, and obviously we have watched a lot of Miyazaki, which is a totally other thing. Uh, what what you know, it, it, what makes this stand out from other things?
1: I think I think from our perspective, it's just that we are in America, and it was historically very difficult yeah. to, to get Japanese animation, and once. Companies started figuring out that they could import this stuff, uh, and once it could be imported, sort of illegally over the internet and everything, that that it, you know, <laughs> sort of the anime invasion. It's not, it's not as if like there's, it's not as if this is you know the first or super new or anything like that. But it was, you know, and you had Akira and stuff like that before this. because this this was sort of the tip of the spear of the mass invasion of anime into American culture uh, for like mainstream. I mean, it's not entirely mainstream, but it was. It was more mainstream than it had been in the past. And-
2: I mean, and that was basically that's about marketing, right? I mean, they 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 decided this was going to be the, this kind of test case for trying to push it. And I mean, I remembered in the late '90s, you could this was you could you could get uh, Ghost in the Shell a, a blockbuster video. You could rent it, right? And they didn't. They had that, and they had Akira. Maybe they had Ninja Scroll, and that was it, right?
1: Yep. And, and that was, that's really all it took was a few things to sort of stand out. And I, I would, I don't know what it's like from a Japanese perspective, but having seen a lot of anime, I mean, this is, Joseph in the Shell is good. I would put it above, let's say Ninja Scroll, for example, but a sure. few, a few companies gave it a try. And I think, you know, the, the internet and the trading of fan subs and everything surrounding this, especially the television series afterwards, uh brought a Japanese animation to a much wider audience in the U S so that's why it's remembered. And that's, that again, that's why I picked it because you would think like, Oh, well, whatever. Ghost in the Shell is not actually that good. It's just because that's when anime just happened to come to the U S in a big way. And I was into anime before Ghost in the Shell and it's, you know, whatever. (laughs) Like you would think it would be a a crappy movie. uh, But I think it's actually a great movie and it's kind of a shame that it gets sort of looked down upon as uh, the sort of thing that came in that, that spread anime to the people who are, we're really into it so this movie is from 1995 it struck me immediately
0: that uh before i even looked anything up on wikipedia like in the first 10 minutes i thought wow the entire matrix is stolen from ghost in the shell
1: yeah well i mean uh, the matrix very heavily influenced by japanese animation a lot of people who were excited about the matrix were excited because there had never really been a sort of live action anime conversion that was remotely interesting or convincing or good and this was like well it's not live action anime but this is what i imagine good live action anime would be like but yeah this this whole 90s sort of Cyberpunk, you know, like yeah. that, that 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 wasn't invented by Ghost in the Shell. I mean, you see tons of Blade Runner inside this and everything as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, but, that's what I was but, just gonna say. Well, yeah, you can see the chain of
0: the chain of events <laughs> here, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, just the visuals, the green. The green well, that's, computer that's text the 90s. zoom in and all that. That, that was, But there's like, there's stuff in the first 10 minutes of this movie that is just, it is in the Matrix. The Matrix just said that, that. And then I found an article that basically said the Wachowskis said that we're going to do that. We're going to make that. And so they made that and that, that was the Matrix. And I, I just, it, 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 I didn't know going in that it was, um, that this, that this was influential in that way. But it became readily available, like really apparent immediately that it was.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I never I didn't actually put that together until rewatching this this time. And I have seen it a number of times before. And I saw this well before I saw The Matrix um, and somehow still didn't put it together watching The Matrix. Uh, I think I was just so wrapped up in my excitement about The Matrix uh, that I didn't notice it. But, yeah, it's it's very easy to, to draw kind of a line between between this and The Matrix. And I think it's it's one of those things where I enjoy this so much that of course i was going to like the matrix and i like the matrix so much that of course going back to watch this is going to be really exciting it's kind of like how you know i love the beatles therefore i can't really slag off oasis all that much because they really sound a lot like the beatles they they really really like they like the beatles
1: as much as you do exactly maybe more as long as you agree that this movie is the beatles in this analogy i'm fine
3: with it Um. i honestly don't know
1: Uh, speaking of the Matrix, like, uh, it's that's actually an interesting comparison as well because the the influences are obvious, but I think the the sort of uh, world uh, context of Ghost in the Shell is actually a, a really solid foundation, sci-fi foundation for stories that is just mm-hmm. well thought out and it has themes that like a lot of the the criticism the Ghost in the Shell gets is that it hits you over the head, with its themes and I agree it's a gigantic sledgehammer. Hitting you in the face, repeat like it has themes, you're going to know them. Uh, and but I think the, the world surrounding it, and this is fleshed out in the TV series, can actually support uh, all these things because it hits you over the head with themes like, Yeah, okay, we get it robots, people, whatever, ghost, yeah, I get it, but you don't really get it because everything th- there are subtle things in the movie, which we'll go through in a bit, and in the television series that continue to throw the realities of the setting back in your face in ways that surprise you. Because you will settle in to start thinking of this as a police procedural or an action movie or whatever. And you would be like, oh, oh, yeah, that sledgehammer they've been hitting with me. I forgot about that. And uh, the television series over over several seasons did that. And the movie, I think, throughout its entire running time, continues to tweak you with its premise and setting, making you look at it from a different angle and realize all the ramifications of this In, in, in a way that makes you uncomfortable. And I think that type of thing is beyond the realm of what the Matrix was interested in doing. Like, the oh. Matrix had its one twist that it wanted it to do and it wanted it to be cool and it, it took away it took away from this movie the the sort of mainstream, more palatable, exciting things. Guns, uh <laughs> fighting robot computers, uh hackery type stuff, but didn't really want to challenge you too much with the with the sort of a real world hard sci-fi implications and instead went to a more sort of spiritual mumbo jumbo thing especially in the later <laughs> movies
2: yeah i'd seen the I'd seen the film many many times uh but this the the standalone complex was new to me in preparation for this episode and I thought it was kind of this neat in that it's basically this police procedural but set in this mm-hmm. fully fleshed out cyberpunk world with all of these rules and mechanics that were i thought pretty consistently applied across all the episodes in, in a very convincing world building kind of way so I enjoyed mm-hmm. it
0: in, in fact i mean I don't want to jump ahead to the show yet but but i when I got to the end of the movie, I immediately thought um. Oh, a show set in this world makes a lot of sense. Like I, mm-hmm. I see, in fact, in, in some in some ways, I felt like a show set in this world, uh, with you know standalone episodes as well as a you know um, an overarching story. It's like I think maybe that makes more sense to me than than the movie because the movie is trying to tell this big thing, and I have some criticisms of of the of the way the movie does it. But I thought immediately, this is a really rich world that would really benefit from having time. To explore it, which mm-hmm. is what the show does, and having only seen a couple of them, I was like, the, "Yeah, this it's like this—is exactly what I what I envisioned." So I, I ran out of time. I didn't watch them because I didn't like them. Because actually, once I started watching the episodes, I thought, "Oh, this is really uh, a lot of fun," and I and I like totally get what they're what they're going for. You know, one of the ways that Professor Syracuse's Anime 102 is a little bit different from other courses here on campus is that it has a sponsor. And that sponsor is MailRoute. Imagine a world without spam, viruses, or bounced email. Imagine opening your email and seeing only the legitimate mail that you want and need to receive. MailRoute can make this a daily reality. In fact, here at this unnamed university where Professor Syracuse teaches anime, we trust MailRoute to filter out our spam, as most large universities and corporations Should, and many do. If you're a desktop user, MailRoute's user interface, simple and effective. If you're an email administrator or IT professional, they've got all the tools that you need. There's an API for easy account management. It supports LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging,
1: mailbagging,
0: outbound relay, everything you'd want from whoever is handling your mail. Now, there's no hardware or software to set up. It all lives in the cloud. MailRoute takes your mail. You point your MX records for your domain at MailRoute. It filters everything, passes it on to your server. Your server never sees the big, bad internet and is protected from all the bad stuff that's out there. And you can start a risk-free trial with MailRoute. No credit card necessary. You sign up, change your MX records, and that's it. Your mailbox is completely protected. All listeners to The Incomparable can receive 10% off MailRoute for the lifetime of your account. So visit MailRoute.net Snell now. That's MailRoute.net Snell, my last name, And that ends this course's sponsorship. Now back to the professor and his course.
1: I guess we'll start with the opening scene because I think this is this the themes in the opening scene are repeated throughout the entire movie in a way that I think people who are familiar with the movie take for granted. And even myself, like, you know, I've seen this movie a million times and rewatching it again twice for this podcast the two times I thought it was imminent. Uh, I'm struck by how I didn't, how things that took for granted come back to me as, as fresh. Uh, but one of the things I've always thought about this movie is the opening. You mentioned the boobs earlier. <laughs> at the beginning and, and at the end, but really not in the middle. <laughs> There's a long boobless stretch here. And, boobs are a staple of anime uh they're there they're bouncing they're going to be in the movies most of the time they're in anime they're going to be there for what you, for the expected reasons because it's targeted at uh men and they like to see boobs uh it's fan service uh you know that is the usual reason you see naked women or scantily clad women or whatever in anime and this movie uh opens with a, a scene with a, the major Uh, on top of a building eventually she swoops down the building shoots through a wall and kills somebody or whatever but as part of that sequence she takes off all her clothes and you're like oh here we go again i roll like you gotta have your your uh feminine hero even if she is a uh, tough secret agent type person or if she's a cyborg of course she's got to take off her clothes or wear skimpy outfits like it's just you have to do it right uh but even before they get to that they one of the first exchanges in the in the movie is they're talking to her over the headset and they say there's some static in your brain or whatever and she says it's that time of month. Same type of thing you're thinking oh another eye roll like these women and their time of month, right? Uh and it seems to be your typical sort of sexist anime fare, but all that stuff is done I whether it's done with a purpose in this movie or I am projecting onto the people, I really, really want to believe that they were doing this consciously uh, and not just for the reasons that we expect them to do it. Because, hey, we got to have a naked woman. We're going to have her on the cover. We're going to have her say her time of month. I really have to think, because, and it's, it's borne out, I think, by the television series being uh, intelligent and the world being very interesting and, and complicated, that this is done with a purpose that is counter to the normal purpose why she's saying it's that time of month when you just start this movie you have no you have no context for that and you think it's just a silly joke at a woman's expense as the movie goes on you realize she has no time of month she's a full cyborg she's a full conversion cyborg then it becomes like okay well she's just making a joke but it's kind of like a sexist joke right so why is she naked well there you know there is an in-story reason for that she's naked because that's how her thermoptic camouflage works oh how convenient your camouflage only works when you're completely naked right uh which you said, you you made an in-story reason to get your heroine naked immediately. There's got to be some truth to that, you think? But the other reason is, throughout the entire movie, the major is naked frequently. And I I think there is an in-story reason for that as well. And that has to do with the major challenging the people around her to see her as anything other than a machine. She's like daring them to say, do you look at me as a machine or am I a woman? Uh... And her nakedness in this in this first scene is, you know, you're expecting the audience to look at it and say, oh, it's, a, it's a, a naked woman and isn't that exciting? A naked woman shooting people, right? It's exciting and titillating, right? But as the movie goes on, you realize, is that a naked woman or is it a machine shaped like a woman that needs to be in this configuration for camouflage purposes? Like the major sort of spiritual struggle throughout this entire thing with, you know, her ghost and everything is how does what is her conception of herself? Is she a woman or is she a machine? And like I said, that's the theme they keep hitting you over the head with in this movie. But every part of the movie is challenging everybody around her, this character in the movie, and the audience to revisit that question. Because it's so easy to slip back into thinking you're just watching an animated movie of a woman. And I don't know how many times you have to watch this movie to start looking at it from that angle. But it always seemed obvious to me that her nakedness throughout this movie and in the credit sequence, which starts with something that looks like a robot... It ends with something that looks like a woman challenging you to say, we just showed you the steps. It starts with a bunch of metal and ends with a woman. Why are you looking at that as a woman? You just saw how we built it. We built it out of metal, right? We showed you how the boobies are made. Now how do you feel? I I don't know if anyone else got that from that sequence or if you just looked at it with an eye roll and said, oh, naked woman.
3: I think that this movie does a really good job of sort of having it both ways because you're you're absolutely right. That's it's a staple of anime is, is to have the, the boobs and the pretty girls and, and stuff like that. And I, I really looked at it very much the same way that you did, John, in that, you know, she is – this creature who is you know one either one thing or the other maybe both we don't know and she she has chosen this form and that was the thing that i kept coming back to throughout both the movie and the tv show where you every once in a while get a really sort of gratuitous shot and i think that that happened probably more in the tv show um that uh that, you know, it would just kind of take me right out of it for a second and then I'd be like, wait a minute, this is all complete artifice. I mean, this isn't just the pretty girl using her prettiness to, to distract the bad guys. This is a person choosing this shell that is, you know, has abs, you know, maybe it doesn't look like her at all. Maybe she wasn't even female to start with. We don't know. And and I find it fascinating to kind of like take a step back and, and think about it from that from that perspective. So I, I, maybe it's also just me perspective, um, projecting because I want to think that they did this on purpose, but I think that it was, it was just sort of an artfully done way to include all of the things that you need to have a successful film, especially in 1995. Um, but to make some commentary on that, um, for, you know, in a subtle way for the people who are going to recognize it as such.
2: Yeah. I think they're, they're taking the kind of standard tropes that we would expect in that and subverting them basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and the contrast between the television, I think you're totally right, that the television series says, okay, we're going to have some underwear upskirt shots, like, we're just we're just going to do it, right? They it's- ran out of
2: subversion for the TV <laughs> show. Right, yeah, <laughs> I, mean,
1: I mean, you should see the outfit she wears in the later seasons, like, it's it's mm-hmm. obvious that they're going to have that, but I think the movie plays it straight pretty much entirely, like, every scene in it, there's an, there's an in-story explanation or a thematic explanation of why is this character doing this, and... Not that all my notes are about nakedness, but a hell of a lot of them are. Like, (laughs) I mean, so in the scene when she wakes up in her apartment, another iconic scene in the movie, she gets up, she opens her window, she gets out of bed, walks, gets on her jacket, and walks out the room. That scene, you know, waking up in the morning. It didn't have a shower sequence, which, if you've seen a lot of anime, is surprising. Oh, You had a woman wake up, and you didn't show me taking her taking a shower. How how does she get clean in the morning? She doesn't get clean. She doesn't need we to go to the bathroom unless we see it, right? You know, she doesn't. That's what she does. That's all. Anyway, different movie. Um, and she she they show her waking up without cutting away. She walks into another room. She walks back out with her jacket on. She's done. That's her morning routine. She doesn't need to do anything else. Is trying to say, she's not a human. Do <laughs> you get it, guys? You've got Togusa the human. A point is made that he is not cybernetic, that she wanted him on the squad because he isn't cybernetic and you want a different point of view. Eventually, you have her driving with no hands, talking without her mouth moving, all staples of this universe, but surprising to begin with. When she fights that, that guy, uh, the, the, the guy they're chasing around, she fights him in that big pool of water or whatever. At the end of that scene, uh, she's standing over him, having knocked him out. She's completely naked. Bateau is there with her, and he's looking at the gun, saying, are oh, you using the wrong ammunition for this gun? You're ruining the muzzle, which is in character for him. But he doesn't care that she's naked behind him. And, you know, it's like, again, her, her being naked is... Partly for the camouflage, but why Why is she just staying there completely naked? She could get her clothes back on, but she's like... I would
2: say he, he actually, there's a scene right after that where he does cover her up. I, I know, that's a what I'm saying. That's so right. I think he does care. She certainly doesn't. Right, so but that's the whole
1: thing. That's the interaction yeah. between the two of them. She is daring him to view her as anything other than a machine. And during the combat, he is intentionally looking at the gun and saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to... During working times... You know, I, I'm not going to do that. But then he does come over and put a jacket. Why is he putting a jacket? It's like putting a jacket over your motorcycle. You know what I mean? Like, it, in one <laughs> in one respect. But in the other respect, it shows that, like, there is romantic tension between these two characters in the movies. very subtle, sort of crouching tiger, hidden dragon, kind of unrequited. Tip. But the tension is there because they're both machines, right? So how do these two dance around the fact that they have these feelings for each other, but they are both full conversion cyborgs and treat each other like co-workers, but at a certain point he still, because they were once human, right, still feels compelled to put the jacket over. It happens multiple times, where at some points she's being treated as a person, at other points she's being treated like a passenger in a woman-shaped tank. One
0: of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, if not my favorite scene, is when she's um, diving, and she and she sinks to the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's mine too. I, I really enjoy that, because that that is the movie saying she's not human she sinks to the bottom (laughs) i i and i really like that and then she comes back out and has the conversation and that 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 is that scene is entirely about um what it means to be human or not human because he's asking why do you even do this um and, and and especially since you don't really you know float like like a human being you have to use kind of assistance to float um I think that is a fascinating scene. And she's wearing she's wearing clothes in that scene, John. But it, it, it is the same themes exactly. But it's the same is. it's the
1: same challenge though. Like in that scene, yeah, she's wearing clothes, but here's the challenge. She takes
0: them off when she gets back on the well, boat.
1: Right. But, and and he and he averts his eyes when she's getting undressed. He turns his back. Yeah. Why are you turning your back now, but you weren't then? You didn't care. It's a different context. But her challenge at that point is he says, What are you gonna do if the floaty things stop working? <laughs> and 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 she goes, Would you dive in after me? Like A challenge. Would you, you know, well, do you love me or not? Like, would you dive in after me? No one forced you to come, right? Like, am I a person or a thing? It's her constant challenging of of Bateau specifically about the nature of their relationship and and the nature of their being. And they're both being full conversion cyborgs. And I think the the contrast is, this is much better in the movie than in the television series. Television series, they all look conventional. But in the movies, Mm -hmm. Bateau's got, you know, artificial eyes that don't look like eyes. They look like little silver discs. Mm -hmm. But his little silver circles are much more expressive and human than her big giant, beautiful eyes, because her big giant, beautiful eyes look like doll's eyes, right? They look completely Mm -hmm. inhuman. Whereas the express, the expressiveness of his tiny little gray circles are so much greater. Maybe, I mean, it's, it's, it's gotta be intentional. It's a fairly uh, good feat of subtle animation technique to show her, to show her sort of cyborg body as being somehow more inhuman than battoes, even though they're both full conversions. Uh, it's it's highlighting that, that the relationship between two of them, which they don't speak a lot of lines with them, but they do have a lot of scenes together, is very subtle, especially in the, in the Hollywood uh, sort of pantheon of these type of relationships where they would – this is something they don't hit you over the head with. I can imagine lots of people who got into anime, watch this whole movie and did not understand the relationship between these two at all.
3: That scene is actually – that's also my favorite scene. It's just indelibly etched in my memory from the very first time I watched this movie back in, like, 1996 or 97, whenever we, we – got it for the first time and i think it i mean it is kind of a sledgehammery scene you know when we're talking about the themes that this movie has because this is i think the most blatant that it's it's sort of stated talking about whether you know is she human or not you know her her speech about if, if they get called to duty she can metabolize all the alcohol in her system within 10 seconds or, or whatever it is but i think it's it is so, po- it's the most poetic sledgehammer that I've ever been hit over the head with. So it doesn't bother me.
1: Yeah, I have this scene in my notes as well for one specific reason. The A particular part of this scene where she comes up from the surface with her little floaty things and looks at the sky through her goggles with the water droplets on them as the clouds drift by. That particular moment is sort of, if I had to like, you know, sort of file anime away in my brain under a particular thing, that particular moment is my my defining characteristic of all the anime that I love. It's it's spe- specifically a recurring motif in a lot of my favorite anime, and probably in Japanese culture in general, as far as I can tell, dwelling on the fine details of sensory experiences, particularly those involving the interaction between the man-wired world and the natural. There are moments like that in a lot of anime, a lot of my favorite anime, I, a couple examples that I, I thought of for the notes here were like uh, the beginning of Kiki's delivery service where she's sitting on the hill with the wind blowing and the radio playing. Mm. They dwell on that because it is a sensory experience that we can relate to. I don't know if any of you have ever, ever been scuba diving or uh, gone diving with a mask or anything. That that thing of mm-hmm. looking through a mask with water droplets on it to the rest of the world and feeling yeah. like you are inside, but you're really outside, like you're looking through a window out onto the rest of the world, that's a real feeling that I've had, and they captured it in this movie. Uh, in, like, Whisper of the Heart, they show the slow start of a rainstorm on a, on a city. They dwell on that for a long time. If you watch anything by Makoto Shinkai the sounds of the summer insects are like a theme of his movies, because obviously it's something that had a big influence in him. Those type of scenes are like, what, what makes anime different than regular movies? And I would say, aside from all the animation and the the ninjas and the robots and the boobs, it's that they will, in in any one of these movies, even with ninjas, robots and boobs, they will put a scene like this, where you're, where you're looking through the, the lens of your thing with the, with the water droplets on it, that will resonate with, at least with me at a deeper level than, I mean, maybe it's how people feel when they watch Terrence Malick things or, or like other, you know, live action uh, directors of quote unquote serious movies. The Japanese animation always speaks to me because every movie will have some small scene like that. And when one of them hits home, it really hits home and it just adds a whole other layer to a movie that involves uh, cyborgs and tanks.
0: Watching the movie, I, and perhaps I was meant to feel this way, but I was really confused about what her what the major's story was, whether she was... And again, this is the theme, but whether she was once human or always synthetic, and I don't know if I missed that or what, but I had this whole question of like, I don't even know what her deal is. Is she a robot? Is she a part person, part robot? Um, She seems entirely synthetic. And yet there's this question of did she start out as a human being? Or not, and I think that's the setting of the story suggests that this is what's been happening to everybody. Everybody has this opportunity to be mostly or entirely synthetic. But I, it was one of those things that confused me. Like I didn't, I, I wasn't sure whether it was meant to be a question or whether I just totally missed it. You missed it. It, a it little gets bit.
2: answered, but but only kind of in very briefly in passing. But I mean, it, 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 there's that scene in the elevator uh where she and Bato have another kind of you know chat and you know she, she she kind of she is asking that question you know out loud kind of to the audience and Bato i guess kind of plays the role of the storyteller by insisting you know that there there is a there is a small organic part of you that is the oh. the human part of you uh yeah. so you know as far as we know she is she's originally a human. We don't really get her backstory uh, here or in all 26 episodes that I watched of the, of the Actually, TV show. Yeah, we do. We get it's a little pretty
3: bit. explicitly stated.
1: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and in the the elevator scene, like he basically says, uh, "This, by the way, Jason, is another staple of anime. There will be a complicated setting and premise, and it will not be explained to you. Mm. And Ghost in mm-hmm. the Shell, the television series and the movies are." perhaps the most egregious, because they have incredibly complicated machinations of, like, the, the politi- political intrigue and, the, and mm-hmm. the, the the world history, how many world wars have there been, what countries are there, the democracies, the dictatorships, who is, how does the government work, like, they don't tell you anything, you're just expected to figure it out and it takes, like, it's, it's like, you know, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, or Syriana, or any of the other movies you have to watch nine times to get all the details, like, that that is a staple, and that's why this is 102, because it is incredibly dense, but they, in this movie they do say she's got a flesh and bro- blood brain and later in the series the television series it emphasized the fact that, like if there's one part of you that is you it is your brain which is it's a pretty solid foundation for that being the case and it's a flesh and blood thing and it's enhanced and it's cybernetic and so on and so forth but basically if someone squishes that brain part you are dead and you are gone.
3: Yeah, and they actually in the TV show they also d- deal with the fact that she had to become fully converted much younger than perhaps that she yes. than th- it's recommended. Right. So that's part of part of her backstory and why she struggles a little bit.
1: And the credit sequence. Did you watch the credit sequence to the television show, Jason? I watched both of them. Yes. Yeah. So do you remember the part where she uh, she's is having a dream i think where she's holding a doll in her cybernetic hand but she can't control her cybernetic hand and mm-hmm. it destroys the doll destroys the
0: doll yeah
1: yeah that that is these are all underpinnings of her i think her backstory is revealed i forget if it's in just season one or season two and, and it moves on but that she was converted very young and that she had to learn to control these cybernetic bodies uh, and that it, it took some getting and this shows like how how do you become the major? How does someone become this person? Well, she was very alienated alienated growing up. She didn't grow up like a regular person, uh, and has always felt like had had identity issues. Who am I? Uh am I a person? Am I a machine? How am I different than everybody else? You know, am I worthy of love? How do I have some identity outside of the different bodies that I can inhabit? Uh, you know, all, all the rest of the themes of the movie. I don't want to jump around too much, but, I mean, we can. You you had us look at two different openings
0: of uh, of the TV series. There's, like, the original opening and then the replacement opening, and one of them is, like, in the animation style, and the other one is, like, CGI.
1: Yeah, that's just something I, I personally really enjoy. I like remixes of songs that I like, and I like the idea that, you know, opening sequences of anime series are an, an, a big thing uh, in, in anime mm-hmm. TV series specifically, that a lot of the time you can you'll see an opening sequence you know a 30 second song and a bunch of animation that it's clear that they spent more money in that opening sequence than the first three episodes combined based on the animation quality so they always put a lot of love and care into those sequences they're an important part of the show uh and having one of those and then having them redo it as cgi is a, is a great contrast because i like the idea of like we do this beautiful hand-drawn animation can we do it in cgi does it look worse does it look better is it possible to capture what was good about the other one Uh, and and in this example i think the hand-drawn one is way better than the cgi one it kind of shows the limits of cgi at the time but it's interesting to see them try uh it will be perhaps less interesting and more depressing to see them try to do a live-action version of this with Scarlett <laughs> Johansson. But that that idea of, like, take this thing, now do it this way, now do it that way, now do it uh, with one hand tied behind your back, now do it all in black and white, now do it as hand-drawn animation, now do it as clay, now do it as interpretive dance. Like, I like the idea of that. And this particular series, when I was watching it, had this conversion where, you're like, the, the opening they were used to all of a sudden appeared in CG, and you're like, what is going on? Did someone think this was a good idea? But it, it's still very interesting to me i
0: yeah i didn't like the cgi at all <laughs> i mean and and i like <laughs> cgi and all but but it first off it doesn't match the show yeah and second i felt like i really understood the way that she's portrayed the way the major is portrayed in the show in animation like i i can quibble i i like the i like the purple and stuff i think that's really neat i i can i, I think her outfit is ridiculous um mm-hmm. They get worse yeah, and, in
1: future seasons.
0: Yeah, well, but this is what I'm saying is, I mean, and hey, I read superhero comics. I I know ridiculous outfits when I see them. <laughs> um, and but in the in the movie, it's not like that. It's not to this extreme um, that in the show. But but anyway, she she is that character. I don't know. There's something about that character. You, you feel like you're you're seeing a portrayal of a, a very specific character, and the CGI is. It feels like it's just a generic even though it's the same clothes and the same everything it's like just a kind of a generic cgi figure of a woman instead of that character like the
1: animation it's,
3: it softens animation. all the interesting edges
1: yeah well yeah they're all soft and just kind of like literally extruded it, 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 tubes. it doesn't even read as a as the same person it just reads as like maybe yeah. like a cosplayer or something because they you know <laughs> i mean the worst is like at the very end sequence where she's grimacing shooting a gun she doesn't grimace when she shoots him, but that's not, it's ridiculous. But uh, the has come off a little bit better. But anyway, I, I like the, the remix aspect of that. Um, I think we can wrap up the movie with just the, the ending sequence, which again, we're going to take those same themes and keep throwing them in your face until, you can, uh, until they, they land home. At one point, the big tank at the end, I believe, shoots up a giant tree of life type thing like a you know sort of a evolutionary ladder type tree I forget what's written on it but I think humans are at the top is that what the thing shoots up?
2: Yeah, and it comes just short of just short of shoot, shooting up humans. Yeah, like
1: you you're getting it folks, you know. it's mm-hmm. not not subtle <laughs> yeah. at all, but it happens fast enough and I think the words are in Latin so it's a little bit better. But the the <laughs> the ending the ending bit there is very kind of like I don't know, I say Akira-esque or whatever, but I think with again with a different pers- purpose where she's she's going in the the one woman wrecking crew to take out this tank she has a plan she executes her plan she gets on top of the tank and is trying to tear the lid off the tank to get to the uh fleshy bits on the inside and defeat the tank mm-hmm. and that lid just doesn't want to come off and she te- she keeps <laughs> really pulling <laughs> she keeps pulling until basically her arms get torn off and this this type of thing that anime loves to do where they will show what looks like a vulnerable human person usually a woman usually an attractive woman grievously injured in some way is subverted here by her grievously injuring herself as part of the plan that she's executing in such a way that you realize that this is not so much uh someone being injured but it's more like driving a car really hard like when the hero of your story uh, steals a car and drives that car until it's dead she just did that but with her own body because she's essentially driving that body as the pilot more than it is you know Hey, uh, that is herself or whatever and then you, of course you've got the big black helicopters with their the angel of death helicopters with their wings unfurling lots of great mecha design in this thing and the, the snipers with the uh the synchronized uh, breathing apparatus to to shoot her through the head and everything again they're aiming for her head because that's the only way you can kill her you, you shoot any other part doesn't do anything uh you've got bateau once again putting the jacket over her when she's diving into the uh project 2501 he doesn't need to cover her with a jacket, it's just a machine, but at that point he is thinking of her as a human and he covers her up. Um, you get her head blown clean off in that scene, but she's fine because they didn't actually squish the brainy brain part. And then for the, for the final thing that's really making you uncomfortable towards the end, they, we've got her in uh, replanted in a little girl's body, which conveniently really looks like a little girl version of the major, which I thought was a nice touch. And him saying, you know, what do you want? It's the black market, this is all I could get. Yeah. And, and that just spins out into like, why would little girl cyborgs be available on the black market? And how do you feel about that? And now that she's in a little girl body, how does Bateau feel about her? And do they have to revisit all of their feelings that they had before? And how do you feel about the feelings they had before? It's almost like when you find out Leia was Luke's sister, but even worse. Yeah, I like. Um, I I think it's really interesting. The the end is is a bit of a
0: a head scratcher where they're like. You know, moving different bodies and the two bodies are there and there's the, the puppet master and they're moving around and all of that. But I did I did like the idea that um somewhere I think the Wikipedia page says that that the whole idea is that she's she's supposed to be she's supposed to look like a standardly standard available, you know, parts. But even though she's got special stuff on the inside and I like taking that to the extreme at the end where it's like, you know, this is what I could get. This is what you get to be. You get to be the little girl now. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, well. But, but she says, you know, it's not her anyway at this point because yeah. she's merged with the Puppet Master. So it's a new creature that's been created that's,
1: you know, something new in the world. That's the one problem with the movie is that it it wanted to have an arc that ended with the sort of merging. I mean, what the movie is going towards is like, we're we're going to confront you with all these questions about what it means to be uh, a a living thing or something worthy of love or what does that even mean? And they're going to keep pushing it until by the end of the movie... You're like, well, getting back to Jason's thing, what if she was she, you know, what if she was never alive? Does that change how you view her? Uh, what if she is combined with an AI that you know that she's essentially mated with this AI? Is she now less worthy of, uh, uh, of being treated as a person than she was before? What if something was never human? You're like that's, that's where you're going and the movie ends and you can continue off in that direction. But the TV series and most of the things that spin off from this universe rewind and say, let's go back to the beginning yeah. of that thing. Because they don't they don't try to continue on. They don't do it Matrix style where you get the end of the movie and he jumps off from the phone booth and you say, let's go see where that goes. It's like, no, no, no. We have we have this whole world. Let's let's explore different stories within that world without immediately jumping to humans are useless. Uh, Destroy (laughs) destroy all humans, kill uh, all humans, uh, let let the machines take (laughs) over, which which which, you, you know, you can see this universe going towards. But that's not the story they want to tell. Well, so what did you guys think of the movie? So i I was really confused by parts, and I felt like parts of it I didn't. I,
0: it wanted me to be confused about, and parts of it I thought it just didn't need to make me confused about, and it did. Um, what's with all the numbers? <laughs> this is the thing that really drove me crazy section six six and we got section nine and we got project 2501 and we're gonna it's like all of the numbers drove me crazy because and i I don't know maybe this is just my relationship with numbers but if it had been like the defense division and the secret division or something like that i would have understood it but it's like instead everything is section nine section six project 2501 it feels super expositiony and of course you've you know there are there are are just endless streams of dialogue there's a very funny part where there's a lot of dialogue and everybody's the the head of the person who's saying it is cut off in the shot so they don't need to animate them talking (laughs) they just (laughs) download dialogue lots and lots of dialogue about the government and this and this section is doing this and this is over here and those are those moments where i thought um this is are they trying to make it wash over me to the point where I just don't even care anymore. Or would this have been better off just being more oblique? Like I I would have almost rather it been completely confusing than have it be like, here's an enormous download of all these things that are similarly named that you don't really understand and that uh, have relationships to one another.
1: Right that's like i said that is actually a staple of anime and if you think the numbers are a problem if you had watched more of the television series you would realize that naming of the different factions and and splinter groups and parts like it's just as bad it's even worse when they have names because at least the numbers you know don't need any translation they just throw it at you like project 2501 like everything i mean some in the chat room someone mentions like mi5 and mi6 like at a certain point you
2: get used to the numbers are also confusing (laughs) yeah (laughs) the world is confusing jason the cyberpunk world is more confusing If this
0: was project black eagle or something i'd be like "Ooh, project black eagle what does it mean project 2501 it's like project string of numbers oh and there's another project
1: of, of different numbers Ooh, tell me more i mm, yeah. you know that didn't that they, didn't yeah they do they do throw the stuff at you they don't want to explain it and, and many times it's easy to think that there is no explanation that it is just mumbo jumbo that it's like the star trek talk where you just throw a bunch of words in there it's just science fiction word salad and you know suffice it to say dolly Them crystals let's move on right but there usually is an actual story surrounding these things i don't know what makes them want to just throw like why do we need those details is it like do you want me to have to go to the wikipedia page and look up what the hell this stuff is but like if you watch it 900 times eventually you do connect all the dots and it starts to make sense but I don't know what it is in a Japanese animation that makes them want to do these incredibly dense and deep backstories to tell what is otherwise a fairly simple story cuz
0: I like there's there's okay so there's an old guy who's bald mostly with gray hair and a little goatee and he's got a team He's got a team of cyborg crime-fighting agent people, and they 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 can fight crime and right wrongs and all that. I totally got that. And and as I got through the movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And this is when I started to see, oh, there is a TV show here. This, makes, this totally makes sense. It was just at the beginning... Again, maybe they just want you to feel completely at sea or something, but I just felt like <laughs> when everything's numbered, I just I threw up my hands. I'm like, I, I have no idea whos who they're talking about when they're talking for a long time about what section six, section 6 and Section 9 and, oh, we need to be part of Section 9. Again, it gives you the feeling like you've dropped down in the middle of something larger that you just are going to have to figure out. I felt like it could have been clearer if they had wanted it to be, and they didn't care
3: yeah i think you're exactly right about being dropped in the middle of of something that's larger that you don't understand and that's that's actually something that drew me to the movie because and anime in general because i like feeling like i am in a world that is whole and is its own thing that is very separate from what i'm used to i like the fact that anime is so different from most of the entertainment that i'm used to consuming so the fact that that was first of all i felt that that the numbers were, were more elegant than all of the names that we get letter there's a later there's a lot of alphabet soup in the uh, in the TV show and and I like the idea that I that I have to figure this stuff out and that I maybe need to watch it a number of times because sometimes I mean I I like easy escapism uh, as much maybe more than the next guy but um, every once in a while I like to to make my brain work for it a bit and I found I it's hard to remember exactly what I felt the very first time I saw this, but I, I seem to remember that it was confusing, but it was deliciously confusing to me. I enjoyed that feeling of, you know, I felt like I was literally in the middle of it and I was turning left and right and looking up and down and I'm seeing all of these things that I don't quite recognize, but they are intriguing to me so much so that I'm willing to put in the work and go back and watch it again and again to really define these things and, and tease it out
1: kind of like twin peaks if you want to compare it to a similar thing where like what is this incomprehensible yeah. show that like i don't understand what's going on and i don't know who these people are doesn't make any sense to me and so like i don't know if they're being intentionally obtuse like twin peaks was like that that was part of the thing but it is, that is my experience of watching anime is that part of what it ap- appeals to me is that i'm going to have a bunch of crap dumped on me and it could be artfully done and less artfully done i think it's way less artfully done in the television series than it is in the movie because the movie, the movie takes time out to do as as Tony mentioned earlier the, you know the, the musical montages and everything, which you you know either you like them or you don't. It's kind of like '80s musical montages. I like I love those, those kind of things. Right? I like I like the anime <laughs> montages with uh with uh, people uh, ladies yodeling over slow motion uh, shots of decaying cities with airplanes flying over them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I like that. I can understand if you don't, but the big exposition dumps fit into that whole thing. It's like why are you doing this on purpose? I think they are doing it on purpose because I don't think you can do it by accident. They're so good at being <laughs> so inco- – It's uh, Twin Peaks obviously is doing it on purpose,
0: right? And this and, and that was my point is there are two ways to read this. One is they, uh, they think they're providing texture, but by having them all just be numbers instead of some th- – because this is a made-up world, okay? They could make it up. And have labels on the things. Like I said, they could say that, you know, d- defense division and and the spy division or whatever. And you'd be like, oh, I get it. They're, that's the defense division. And I can intuit from that what it is. Or, you know, or you can just pick numbers and say, whatever, we don't we, we don't know what we're doing. E- it's either that or I think would be more likely they want it to be this web of interconnections that you have to struggle to which i love in novels right i love like um what is it embassy town the china mieville that that is um like he just downloads and there are other books like this too um uh neil stevenson's uh oh uh anathem is like this where it's like there's just words that you have no idea for a like 500 pages what the words mean and you just have to figure it out and I appreciate that. So that that was my struggle with it was like, are they? Are, are, do they really expect me to be able to keep track of all these numbers or am I supposed to let it wash over me and eventually I'm just going to figure it out through context? And I think that's where I got to.
3: It's kind of like the difference between learning a language by taking a class and having a teacher explain it to you or just immersing yourself in a culture and moving to someplace like Japan and just figuring it out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, someone in the chat room said that the in Japan the actual ministries are named with numbers like this. I always, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I always took it as like having the numbers like Section Nine. Maybe it's this more cyberpunky. Like, yeah, maybe this is retconning. Section Nine now sounds cool to me. Is it because Section Nine is Section Nine, and I know what Section Nine is, or is it because Section <laughs> it's the same thing like MI Five? Does MI Five sound cool because of James Bond, or was it a cool name to begin with, like? If you name things with numbers, it it's it's more of an aesthetic theme. It's not so much that they use the numbers, it's the fact that like there are eight thousand moving parts and there's seven hundred characters, all who have different motivations. You have to know who which of these political parties, who's in power, who's not, what's motivating this rebel group, what's mm. motivating the, like There are so many moving pieces, most of which get, like, one word, one line, or, like, an animated eye glance, or, like, they're mentioned once and they're never seen on camera, and they're, like, this huge geopolitical force (laughs) that everybody in the movie knows about, but you have no idea about it because they just – and it is realistic in that, like, if everybody knows about it, they're not going to – there's not going to be the exposition bot that explains. Oh, there was World War Four and Five, and here was what happened, and then, and we had these refugees and these people. Like, they're not going to do that for you, and, because no people would do that. So, well, the idea is that
0: this was a f- complex future world, and we can't explain. I mean, it, it, so much has changed that we, we, you know, we're not just going to do the one. One thing is different. It's like it's all different, and it's not part of our story. But y- it it makes you feel more disconnected. Like, oh, this is really the future. So much much has changed. In the first episode of Standalone Complex, there's something like that where. Again, I think this is just a style thing that I have to get used to. There's a download at one point that left my head spinning where the guy in, who's in charge says, oh, you know, the defense ministry and he was meeting with this North American, you know, whatever uh, executive from that thing for the talks involving this. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> like there's, Suffice it to say yeah. that there's a thing and people are being held hostage by uh, robot ninja geishas. OK?
2: <laughs> I think in the film it's a little bit harder too because we have we have Section Six and Section Nine and they're, they they seem to be adversarial sometimes. Six is just they,
0: upside down,
2: but they also have meetings. <laughs> and I think it's even a little bit harder because like the first scene is we basically have the major who, who is working for Section Nine carry out what seems to be kind of an assassination, right? And so it's 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 a little unclear like who is the good guy and who is you know. You know how good are the good guys and, and all that. Also, John, you're going to get letters from the James Bond nerd, so watch out for that. Why?
1: Mi five, Mi six. I don't know. Yeah,
2: he's Mi <laughs> six. So.
1: Uh, yeah. I said it's cool because of James Bond, the franchise, not him specifically. Yeah. Okay. I, I always thought that he just worked for the English agent department the special m department and it's it's like you know like that syriana or something where everything is in the movie you it, they they explain in the movie there is at least one line to explain who section nine is they're the ones who can get their hands dirty who section six is the diplomatic corps or whatever and why the, section six can't do this and you know eventually section six is re- revealed to be subverting you know the and section nine like if you watch the end of the television series you'll see how that goes down between them but there's internal warring factions within uh Government. The only thing that's never made clear in the entire series is why Section Nine. I guess it's just Aramaki. Why? Why are they the one? relatively non-corrupt part of the government every other part of the government is terrible like you should also just,
2: especially if they're like we're the we're the guys that can get our hands dirty carrying out assassinations but we're the non-corrupt part right know? they are but they are so, though like it's, it's, it's yeah. like
1: it's a it's a handful of people it's just just a good group of kids there but the... like there's
2: five of us we that's <laughs> yeah. the key the
1: small numbers that's right <laughs> and and the one the one good leader oh i mean it's it, you know in that respect it's more like a television show but like the, the television the format of the television show i think is Premise action sequence, then a scene where George Lucas style, everyone sits around couches and talks forever about nonsense. Like, it is just unbelievable amount of stuff that you're like, uh, you try to follow it and like, it's just you feel like it's impossible. I've seen this entire series like four times some episodes are still like that I'm just never going to know what they're talking about right and that middle section of these episodes like if you were to format this as a US television show you'd be like maybe cut out the part in the middle where they sit around and talk because you got some exciting dynamic people here and they always do like set up lots of action lots of talking and then the rest of the story with action cuz it's a short show it's like what is a 30 minutes or something like that you don't have time for like an hour long drama you really just have to they pack all the story into a talking part in the middle and Some episodes do it more gracefully than others, and I think that is probably the weakest part of the TV series. And the movie, I think, does a better job of sort of weaving it throughout because they try to have less exposition and less of a complicated plot in general than the insane arc that that forms the television series. Uh, And really, the movie is more about themes and characters and the world and less about the specifics of the story. And so I think it, it is more artfully done there.
2: I mean, I, I really like this show, but I kind of laughed every time they'd have the the requisite scene in the middle where they'd have, like, their conference call, except they're all doing it by thinking so that, like, we don't actually, don't actually have to animate anything mouths. for, it's like, really four cheap. minutes. They're just, they're, everyone's <laughs> just sitting, <laughs> yeah. like, maybe they're in a car, maybe they're in a room, but they're all just thinking their thoughts back and forth at each other. I'm just <laughs> like, what a savings. Yeah, <laughs> that's why
1: saw so doesn't get to participate.
3: Yeah, uh, so much driving and thinking. It was just, yeah. or, or driving and diving, which I think mm-hmm. is probably one of the most unsafe things you could do. Yeah, it's like, like texting and
1: driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't do that. You should mm-hmm. really keep your eyes on the road. But then again, if they have spare cycles, maybe they could do both at once. I don't know. Is it really unsafe? though? They're, they're actually better drivers than we are. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of my favorite episodes uh, are in season two of this. And so I, I watched all season one again. And I'm saying, wait, I didn't get to my... Oh, yeah, that's in season two. There's some... Uh, That's another interesting thing about the format of these episodes, which I mentioned to Jason when I thought he had a chance of seeing more than two of these. At the beginning of the episodes, they do this weird... Oh, I think I'm going to watch the rest of them. It'll just be no good for this podcast. They do this thing (laughs) where they show, over the title sequence, they show the title of the episode, and then a scrolling region that is an English explanation of the scene you're about to see in the opening, and then a little word tag on the side that says either complex or standalone, which is a nice labeling system that perhaps the X-Files could have benefited from to tell you, Uh. is this an episode (laughs) that it's about the season-long arc, or is this a standalone episode that's Monster of the Week? Uh, and some of my favorite episodes are standalone episodes because it gives them an excuse in a thirty-minute format, which is very abbreviated, yeah. to do a standalone story. And if you just watch the arc episodes, which I've never done, I imagine it would form kind of a coherent whole. But then you realize how important the standalone episodes are, even though they don't move the plot along of the of the the season-long arc. There's character development in all the standalone episodes. It's an interesting little story. It's kind of some of them are kind of Twilight Zony, Some of them are kind of monster of the week type thing. But in each episode, there is a little bit of character development. In the later seasons, they have development of more obscure characters, maybe because they run out of stories for the major and bateau and everything.
3: It's not just character development, though, too. There's some serious world building done in a lot of those standalone episodes. Things that, while, you know, maybe they're not exactly moving the plot forward, the the themes and technological bits and bobs that you are seeing in those, in those stories are coming back later and and taking Part in the complex type episodes, and I feel like yeah, it would be interesting maybe to just watch all the complex ones together. But I, I feel like it would be a dinner with no seasoning; you'd be losing so much.
1: <laughs> yeah, they do definitely like uh, things that you are going to see in the arc episodes. They like like a good video game explaining a mechanic to you before it challenges you with it in the level. They will explain a particular mechanic in in uh, in the concept in the context of another story, and then in the arc episode, just use that because they assume you already know what it is. Uh, and you've seen it before and that that structure works fairly well if, even if you don't know that those labels are there i find that this this season flows well enough that you don't feel like you're going, Oh, this is obviously an arc episode. Oh, this is obviously standalone because they all begin kind of the same way. Like there's a problem. Section time has got to look into it. What is the deal with this problem? There's always some kind of hackers involved or like terrorists <laughs> or someone like they all kind of look the same. What's the difference between an arc? Ep- well, you know, in this one, the laughing man is your, your, you know, symbol for this is going to be an arc episode, but sometimes they sneak up on you where they do something and you're like, this doesn't seem related to the laughing man at all, but aha, it actually is. Uh, and it comes back around, uh, but I, i'm a sucker for that structure again the x-files and lots of other uh american television shows that use that structure where they get to have their cake and eat it too where you have a cool season long arc but you can also have great standalone episodes something i kind of missed on like something like lost where every episode was kind of an arc episode even if they had like this is sawyer's backstory episode they always felt like there had to be and let's make some progress on the island even if it's like you know two steps forward one step back or something like that whereas the X-Files and this thing are like, look, this episode is just going to be Monster of the Week. We have a really good idea for a story and a cool finishing sequence with a bouquet of flowers at a funeral. Sorry for spoiling it for you, uh, Jason. Uh, and that's what we're going to do. I don't even remember if that was an arc episode or a standalone. But anyway, they're some, like I said, some of my favorite episodes are standalones, uh, and some of them are actually in season two, which... i didn't get to ask you before like what did you guys think of the of the movie judged as a movie not judged as anime not judged as like i liked it better than this anime or worse than the other but like just in general as a movie because i think that's another problem with anime people always want to ghettoize it by saying it's my favorite anime movie kind of like saying it's my favorite animated movie like the people who will only talk about pixar movies in the context of other animated movies and not just like that's one of my favorite movies in general, or one of my least favorite, like grading it on a curve, say, well, it's a terrible movie, but among all anime, it's a good one. How do you judge this as a movie movie?
3: I, I liked it as a movie movie. In fact, I liked it so much the first time I saw it that I took it home and showed it to my family. And my family had, I can't remember if my sister and brother had seen anime by that point. I don't think they had. I know my parents never had. Um, And they're science fiction fans, so they were interested in just sort of the themes of the film to begin with. So I knew that there would be at least, there'd be something for them to buy into. Uh, and, And they have no problem with subtitles, so... We didn't have to worry about that, and and everybody liked it. I mean, my brother and sister liked it enough that they have become much bigger anime fans than I have since then. But even my parents, who I I think were maybe a little hesitant just because they didn't know anything uh, about this, uh, quite enjoyed it. Um, And I think that they they were a little bit confused by some of the same stuff that that you know we've been talking about. You're sort of supposed to be confused by, but I think they were reading enough you know '70s sci-fi that they were totally fine with being completely confused by stuff that's supposed to be confusing and and they all liked it just as a film so i I give it a thumbs up across the board
2: i think it's a great science fiction movie Mm -hmm. yeah i've seen it many times because i like it so i'll see it again i think i'll probably continue to get little little bits of new things out of it so
0: well i can see having only seen it once i can see the benefit of going back and watching it more times because having been in that world for for that period of time for that hour and a half i feel like i understand it now better than i did when i watched it the first time and so that i would it would benefit from uh from from that there were individual things in it that i really like um like i mentioned the diving scene I, i i i like the horror of the garbage man who has this whole story of what oh, he's trying God. to do that turns out to be completely a lie. Cause he's been, mm-hmm. he's been ghost hacked into believing things that are not real. And he thinks he had a family and the story isn't that his wife didn't leave him or the story. And the, you know, the, the story is that he never had a family.
1: And they can't erase those. Like it's another, like, no. Oh, by the yeah. as other people know in the movie, that's one of the times they explain to the audience. Oh, by the way, we can't fix him in our world. We're saying we can't get rid of these memories. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> oh,
3: I, you know, I, gutting,
1: I know yeah. that was that was so that was kind of an
0: amazing scene. Um, I really liked the action sequence when they drop through the roof and there's the mech with the giant, uh, uh, you know, machine guns, and she's trying the major's trying to take out the tank by herself and ends up <laughs> ripping her arms off and all of that. That was a really nice action sequence. Um, but like I said, I, I I think having watched it one time, I can't say that I enjoyed it because I think I struggled too much with not having any idea what was going on with a lot of the, the, a lot of the exposition stuff just being like, I I see things are exploding and I know people are being sent various places to do things, but like any nuance of what is actually going on was completely lost on me because I just was completely at, at sea. So I, I, you know, I really appreciate the relationship um, between who I would, I guess, call the two main characters um, which are, uh, the major and, um, Bateau. Ba- yeah, Bateau. Um, I really enjoyed that relationship. Um, we've talked about, uh, some of that about their conversation on the boat after she's done diving. Um, him apologizing for getting there late. He comes in to save the day at the very end and says, Sorry, you know, sorry, I'm late. It's like, dude, you you saved everything at the very end. Sorry, I'm late. I, 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 I liked, uh, a lot of that, uh, stuff it was uh lo- there's a lot of stuff in there and i guess i guess what i'm saying is i'm not opposed to seeing it again because i feel like i understand it more and what it did do is make me realize what a great world this would be for an ongoing series about this team which is what they made and watching those two episodes of the standalone complex series i really liked them although although again i have as a as a uh, american pop culture person i i I still had those moments of like this is just not a mixture of things that i'm used to because again it's a half hour story that's animated that has one of the characters running down a street shouting shit 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 right (laughs) and it's like well that who is this for? I'm asking myself because it is this weird combination of things that would not be put together in a piece of American entertainment. And yet, you know, it, I I liked it and I recognize a lot of the tropes from science fiction. And I think as a, as a TV show, it, it, um, it, it worked better for me in the sense like like I got how this would be really good as a recurring series of problems for this team to solve because that's – I felt like that. Oh, I didn't mention the other thing that I thought was really funny about it is that um, we talked about influences here. I got a real Miami Vice vibe from this at several points. <laughs> like like Bato is, is, is kind of like Cyborg Don yeah. Johnson. Th-
1: this is American culture being reflected back at us a little bit. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah, a little bit later. It was fascinating. And the music, the way the, the way the music plays at times is actually very Michael mm-hmm. Mann, yep. where you've got you've got the the um the nature and the cityscape kind of together and there's a quiet moment and it's like it, it was almost like right out of Manhunter or something, or Miami Vice, but very Michael Mann too. So that really amused me because I did not expect to get to see you know, the mid eighties reflected back via the, the the 90s in japan and that that is what i got he is very don johnson bato is yeah, so. that,
1: that's one of the most fun things about anime because american culture has had such an influence on japan that they co-opted but sort of twisted it and then it yeah, comes yeah. back at you and you're like this looks vaguely familiar but not quite right right because when it comes back yeah. at us sometimes you don't even recognize it as what, what it originally was because they, they co-opt it and make it their own and when it comes right. back it is this mutant strain but somehow familiar as well.
0: Yeah. I also, I love and, and this is something the more anime I watch the more I realize this is just a thing I'm going to do is I love seeing Roman characters in the background. It's like what do they choose to have be in English or at least in Roman characters? That's fascinating because that's the stuff that's not translated right they the filmmakers put it in there Uh, everything else we get all the dialogue is translated either by redubbed or subtitles but then there'll just be some words and i i i get a a great deal of joy out of seeing what what they put in things i can read and where they are just in the background or on a on a sign somewhere it makes me laugh be
1: careful with fan subs because sometimes they digitally replace signs with things that look like they were put there by the original animators but weren't shame that's, that's not the shame. case in the movie you watch but sometimes they do it they shouldn't do that because it's right. too cool it's too cool to see
0: like in kiki's delivery service that is you know theoretically it takes place in northern europe and uh so there are amusing like signs that are written in english or in or german like languages and you know it's writing that we can read so that's kind of fun too so anyway i would say i would say i struggled with the movie but by the end i felt like i got the power of the setting And uh, as a result, when I rolled into the TV series, I thought that it was a lot of fun. So I should probably go back. Now that I understand a little bit more about section, section, section nine, and it's not just number salad, I might be able to appreciate it even more. And, you know, I was a William Gibson reader from way back. And these are—and a Max Headroom fan, right? I mean, some of the overlay stuff they do with the, like, the green blinking and the, like, the labels, the heads-up display kind of labels on everything is straight out of Max Headroom, too. So I I liked that as a cyberpunk— kind of remix coming back at me.
1: Yeah. The, the, the lot, some of that is actually unfortunately the result of nineties computer technology and not, not <laughs> oh, so sure. much an artistic choice, but it ends up being an artistic choice. Yeah. Well
0: it, it is it is a an old tech conception of future tech that I find kind of charming. I mean, Max Headroom is the same way, right? It was at the time it was like, how do we use computers from nineteen eighty five to project cyberspace of the future? And the answer is it's all like wireframey and or it's like animated like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy tv series it's like hand animated in a style that appears computery we'll make it green on black and make it look like there's a
1: scan line and it'll totally be computery right? that was actually a smart choice for this movie because it doesn't look as dated because they they knew the limitations of the technology and they said well, we're going to have this overview of the city let's just make everything green because i know it's kind of silly for everything to be green but we can put we can do green Green is what we've got. Like, let's go. Let's go with that, as opposed to trying to do it in full CG. Because that's the beauty of anime is they have never been limited by that. You can draw anything you want, and, and they do right. And, but when computer technology came along, they're like, "What can we do with computers that would be difficult to do with drawing, or that would add some kind of edge to it, or whatever?" And I just think this movie and in most a- a Japanese animation, the hand-drawn stuff is so much better than any computer stuff. It's like just keep the computer stuff at a distance unless you can unless you can make it really convincing those two opening
0: sequences really do mm-hmm. i mean that that shows you and and again good cgi is can have amazing character design and we've seen it with pixar movies and other other great movies but but those two scenes if you compare them it's like that 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 character that is the major that that is her in the hand drawn animation opening. And in the other one it's just a piece of plastic. Oh, yeah. It is just it, one of the, the doll. It, you you could take that yeah, you could take that into an animation class and say, what what makes these things different? Because one of these is a fully realized character, hand drawn but fully realized character, and the other one is a doll it's amazing
2: yeah i get kind of jarred out of it in the the tv show they they like to use cgi for a lot of the car chases and things yeah that always, I mean, that's, that's what they it's, use it it's, for. it's it's the era it, it's, it's just your beauty it's,
0: and the beast thing right where they're like yeah oh, we can we can animate we can do the, cars yeah. we
2: can do bo- we can do boxes sliding across the screen yeah
1: well i mean it's like it's like futurama they do rigid bodies ships yeah. cars large yeah. buildings like and eventually by t- eventually anime television series got good enough at it that it kind of
2: sells and it's it's you know it's the budget for tv is very different than
1: the budget for film yeah Yeah, so that's why by the way you should never watch the two quote unquote 2.0 version of this movie in which they replace a lot of stuff with cg it is worse than always pretend it does not exist yeah
3: I didn't, I didn't know until just now, and in two seconds, I'm going to be back to not Forget. knowing.
1: I'm erasing it. That's right. <laughs> right. That's what I was telling everybody when they were, were going to you know watch this uh, before they hear the podcast, do not watch the 2.0. Find the original. Seek it out. It's very easy to type Ghost in the Shell and get the new one. You do not want that. You want what about the, old... the live-action movie starring Scarlett Johansson? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to get to that in a second, but first I want to talk about your, <laughs> your, your rewatch uh, idea rewatching this like if this is not your kind of movie forget about the fact that it's animated if the if the pacing and sort of flow of this movie with the weird musical montages and the sort of philosophical talking to each other and the quiet moments if that doesn't appeal to you you will never like this movie because that's what this movie is all about right but at the very least on the rewatch you can see how like typical movie stuff did you notice that he showed the pictures of his family to his his uh the, the his garbage truck uh, co-worker? Of course he did, but you didn't notice that you never got to see the picture because you weren't thinking of that. You're mm-hmm. like, whatever he's shown in pictures is not important, but it, later it becomes important that you never saw that picture because it's a picture of him and his dog or whatever in the, in the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that you will get on a second watch that only connect up after the fact. And that's like any movie where there's, any, you know, like The Sixth Sense or anything where there's a any kind of twist or plot reveal or now you know more about the world you can watch and see oh that actually makes sense and it all fits together and in that way you can enjoy the movie at a more detailed level the the sort of political intrigue and the warring factions in the movie are much less important than the themes i mean they're there you can figure them out but they they don't reveal much more other than making you not be confused and, and putting you in the brain state where you're like do i have to know this to make sense of the next scene in the movie in general You just have to know what the big moving pieces on the board are, and it's really more of a character and theme story playing out over this backdrop. Like, you don't even need to know who was riding that tank, who was sending those helicopters to shoot at her. You just need to know that these are threats and that how she's dealing, because really the internal struggle, I think, is more important than the external one.
3: Yeah, the external struggle becomes much more, I think, important in the TV show, whereas the movie is a a much more artful internal uh, struggle
0: yeah well i mean i i doubt the the a tv show would spend whatever five minutes for about a cyborg uh diving
1: right? yeah so so for the for the for the t- actual we'll, i guess we'll talk about the live action movie here I have a little bit more to say about the tv show after that but so the 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 prospect of a live action version of this has been talked about for many years as with any sort of iconic animation thing some people want to see a live action version of it some people don't now apparently they're making it i don't know who's attached other than scarlett johansson who's directing it uh, it's a Steven Spielberg produced. I'm not sure
0: who's directing it.
1: Yeah, well, so I I have dim hopes for this movie, not just because they cast Scarlett Johansson, but because she just totally does not read as the major for me. Race reasons totally aside, like the character doesn't seem like that to me. The reason that I don't think it'll work, uh, at least as a live action version of the movie we just saw, is that no one will ever would ever make a live action movie of this. Like no one's ever going to do a shot for shot remake and no one is ever going to ape these themes and this style and this pacing and like the core of this movie no one would let you make a live action really expensive movie with this core because the it is it is subtle it's nuanced it is lost on a lot of people uh and it's just not broadly appealing right it's not it's not a crowd pleaser right this this movie is not a crowd pleaser except to you know anime fans and a lot of them are taking the wrong things from it if you watch this movie and are really excited by boobs, you are not you are not getting the message that the movie is trying to send.
2: You, I feel right? like there's other sources you could
1: go to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And so like they can't they're never going to make a movie that is in any way like this. Can they make another movie sort of like loosely based on sure. I mean they made Blade Runner out of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and there's like no relation between those whatsoever. <laughs> like and they're both really interesting and great in their own right. So I don't I don't begrudge them an attempt to make a good movie loosely based on this but i don't think anyone ever has the guts or the financial wherewithal to make a live action movie that is either this live action version of this movie or a live action movie like this movie which is a shame because i like movies like this
3: i think that i think that what's probably going to happen and the greatest danger is that they will not be loose enough with their interpretation of it they will try to stick closer to it than they probably mm-hmm. should but they'll leave out all of the beautiful pieces that make it what it is and it will just be a mediocre action movie with lots of explosions and a half naked woman
1: it'll be like the cg version of the opening it's like we're doing the same things right here yeah. she is getting out of bed here she is squishing the doll here she is mm-hmm. like jumping around like that's what it was right you know so they'll, they'll they have a scene of her trying to tear the lid off a tank and her arms will break off and it's like that wasn't like you have to build
2: the movie like you can't also, just... we already we have that movie, right? Well, I mean, we don't, we don't I, I think it's again. fine.
1: I like that idea. If you wanted to do a shot-for-shot live-action reinterpretation of this, I give you license to do it. Go ahead, try to do it. I think it's gonna be really hard. To, I think this is a beautifully animated movie, and I think it's gonna be really hard to be that live action. But if you want to give it a try, go ahead. But if you if you just do the sort of we have to have a scene like this. We have to have a scene like that. Like the pick the seven iconic scenes from this movie, put them in the movie. Of course, they're not gonna pick the scuba scene because they don't understand what that scene is about. And they're sure as hell not gonna have a shot through a bunch of goggles with water droplets on it because they have no idea why that was in the movie in the first place. And it'll just be like, you made an action movie that has a few scenes that look familiar to me. I think it would be worse. Like I'm I'm not a big comic fan, but like the Watchmen movie was big about like this is like a panel from the comic, right, guys? Oh, yeah, right? right? Elbow, elbow. <laughs> yep. At the very least <laughs> Watchmen. Check out the,
2: the Sin City movies if you really want Oh, uh, yeah, like. yes, exactly. The same type of thing. But, <laughs> yeah. it, but uh, it further gets stabbed right in the. It,
1: at the very least, I felt like, as someone who is not a big comic fan, I vaguely understood what the Watchmen comic series was about thematically from watching the movie. I recognized that the movie was. There was problems with the movie you know i i can understand people who would say that it is a pale shadow of the comic book series which i think at this point i actually have read most of the comic book series but like i understand the historical context surrounding that comic and how it's not reflected in the movie and it's this like kind of like i think the watchman movie is like the best case scenario for a live action ghost in the shell not the worst case that is that is as good as it's ever going to get mm. and just everything else like the worst case scenario i guess is lucy right i don't know uh, or the
2: spirit or something like that so. yeah uh,
0: rupert rupert sanders director of snow white and the huntsman as his only major feature is attached to that uh ghost in the shell live action by the way
2: yeah, I don't, it just didn't seem I'm likely nervous that nervous
0: well and it's yeah, yeah. produced by produced by Avi Arad, who is the guy who syracuse a the, sense tingling the, the former <laughs> marvel comics producer guy who did the uh the spider-man movies so yeah
1: yeah and for the tv series uh, could they make a live-action TV series like this? I think that is an easier sell. Because if you look at the, mm-hmm. the the anime TV series, one thing we didn't mention is that the TV series version of Ghost in the Shell injects humor into what the movie is almost entirely humorless. Like, it's pretty dark, pretty grim, pretty straightforward. The TV series has Tachikomas, Like, they had their own little spinoff yes. thing. I put those little shorts in there. I don't know if you watched them. That is a big part of the series. It is it, kind of like, not like the A-Team, but like Section 9 jokes with each other they have personalities like they go on these adventures they solve crimes they Mm -hmm. you know they work out their personal issues you know like it is more like a very traditional american tv show with a bunch of upskirt shots thrown into it and ridiculous outfits for the women like so it's got everything bad that you would think from japanese animation series a lot of the bad stuff from american series but also a lot of the good things
2: and i don't know i worry that an an american tv version would would look a lot like the short-lived tv series almost human I watched
1: that and I would hope that it could be much better because just to this cast of characters, have a guy who's like this, have a guy who, like, even if you just take the broadest cartoon outlines of these characters it is a nice dynamic within the group and I think American shows do sort of ensemble uh, like... Well, honestly, this is just an alias at that point, other than the cyborg stuff. Well, but right? they, then you have the setting because, like I said, the, the the television series does take the setting seriously, and most of their stories, like their their entire, it's not monster of the week. It's explore uh, ramifications of the the world that we have drawn type thing. What are, like every episode they'll, they'll explore some ramification, not as if it's a revelation to the people involved, but because it's like matter of course. Like, oh, another. You know, Cyberbrain has hijacked a tank and is rampaging through the town. Oh, this this girl had to be transferred into a different body and can't handle it. Like it just happens all the time. You just gotta deal with it. But to the viewer it's all new. And that that's the excitement that I think you know would would come through in the television series that you'd have this group of people and their leader and their funny little robots and the problems they would solve and that they would treat them matter-of factly, but it's very interesting to you because you're not used to this world. And I think almost human fell down because it was like the people in the show were shocked about the world they live in. It's like, you live there. This is all normal to you. It's supposed to be (laughs) shocking to us. You can't be like, whoa, robots talking for themselves. Like, that's, yeah, almost human had problems.
0: Yeah, but it had Dr. McCoy in it. That was good. He was good. (laughs)
1: <laughs> he was not that
2: him and his wacky wacky robot sidekick driving around solving crimes. Yeah, they That's had the they thing there where they're crimes. like, "We
1: we got rid of the robots, but now we're bringing them back to make to, to add like the fish out of war." They might have had of like unfrozen
2: unfrozen caveman cop. Like you're like
1: what? you woke up. We unfroze you. Guess what? We have robots in the police now. How do you feel about that,
2: Jason? Ghost in the Shell American Edition. Carl Urban is the major. Are you on board?
1: <laughs> no, no. It's Batu. Carl
0: oh, Carl Urban okay. is
2: Batu. <laughs> Ah, uh, we'll think about it. That probably makes a lot more sense. Because I don't really want to see Carl Urban wearing that outfit. <laughs> but with purple hair? I think he could sell it. You should um,
1: see the, You should see her hairstyles in the second season. They have her, like, wearing this weird sailor suit thing. It just it oh goes God. out of control. Like, the really? only good... Like, that's the, the great thing about the television series is it does more of that, like, ridiculous anime things. But then her, her expression is stone-cold killer the whole time. Like, she does not giggle. She does not flirt <laughs> oh, sure. with anything, right? But she's wearing this outfit, and it's <laughs> like, how does that... Like, it, it, they, I think what they try to do in the TV series is you start to, you start at least I start to, to try to rationalize it in my head, again, again headcanon stuff, like, that she is playing dress-up on herself as a doll, but, like, like, she's basically playing with dolls and the doll is herself, but she still wants to be taken seriously, so still... Just completely straight faced expression the whole time, and no one ever says anything about it because no one's going to say anything to the major about anything. Like, what are you going to do? Make fun of her outfit? That's not going to go well for you. Uh, so that's, that's how I rationalize to myself.
3: And you don't even. You also really don't even get any any sort of hint from any of the other characters that they're, they're not like looking at her when she's not looking. They're at that point, by the time the TV show rolls around, it seems like the other characters, even Bato, are really not treating her any differently because she's female or because she's dressed this way. Certainly, the gaze of the camera. Camera and I'm guessing a lot of the uh, audience oh, right. definitely treats her differently. But within the, the the world, the fiction of the show, she is just the major, and she is just doing her thing, and they kind of ignore that that extraneous trappings, which which I appreciated. I was able to I was able to sort of hand wave it away a little bit because because nobody else was paying attention to it. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to either.
1: Yeah, it's like the it's like the world of Star Trek, the the world the way Star Trek is supposed to be, uh, where uh, you know, there, there is no class structure. There's no money. There's, you know, everyone is like women and men are completely equal. Like the characters in this setting behave that way always. Right. Aside from the vague romantic tension between Bato and uh, the major that is still there in the television series that is not played up quite as much, everybody else is all about business and they care about each other and they are a team. But there is never anything like that. From anybody, from any of it, her superiors, no sexual harassment from her superiors, that's not a cl- plot line they do, and in that way, it feels so much more future worldy than anything that we have on American television because of the absence of all of that.
3: Yes, and that's, that's why I liked so much. And, and actually speaking of the romantic tension, that is something that I never really read into it. But I think that that was for me kind of a, a personal preference headcanon type of a thing because it's, it's so rare to see a really kick ass female character existing in any kind of media property where she is not also an object of affection of romantic uh, intent from somebody, uh, whether it's requited or not. So for me, I found this very refreshing that she was a, a just an amazing female character who was doing her thing and, you know, yeah, she doesn't have a human body, but she still presents herself as female and and that she's not treated any differently because of that. It's not like, oh my God, look at what the girl is doing. That was really cool. And nothing between her and Bateau was overt in any way. So I I was able to read it as just these are two grown ups that have a very, very deep affection for each other and a very sort of complex relationship. And I was able to read it. And watch it without seeing any romantic overtones because that's much more comfortable for me um, because it's more refreshing and it's it's different from what I'm used to. So so I prefer to I prefer to not see that. And maybe that's also you know my Doctor Who <laughs> old school Doctor <laughs> Who fan coming through. I don't want hanky panky in the Tardis. I don't want hanky panky in my anime.
1: Well, see the thing is there there the reason there is tension there is. There can't be any. They're two robots, all right. Like they even mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's... I forget it's in the CB series or whatever. Bato asks her, like, "Why do you? Why do you bother picking a woman like shell for yourself? Like the men, he picks the big strong man one. Like why wouldn't you're picking a, a weaker thing? And for her, it's more of like a combat stylistic choice or whatever. But it's like. There is no gender here speaking wise there's there's no hanky panky going on cuz it's too robot like <laughs> nothing is going to happen like that is the tension the tension is that they they have human brains that still feel love but everything else that we relate to love is pointless because they're just a bunch of they're just riding around in these giant human shaped tanks right and that is the tension of the series and so if you want it to be like it's not romantic tension it is like it's like relationship tension the fact that it is between a man and a woman you could put them both into bateau shaped things and the same tension would be there like it doesn't it that's the challenge that it's doing to say what is a relationship what is romance what is love is it just the you know mechanical act what if we take that mechanical act away does it exist at all what if you just have a memory of it existing how are, like how are you acting that out and i think they have a the tv series her like sleeping with someone sort of and having like cyber brain sex or whatever like they try to find ways into that. Like what is the new manifestation of these feelings that we all have, or is it like an evolutionary dead end? And this is just a pointless thing, but, uh, you can wish it away because they don't ever act on it, but just because they can't act on it. It just, it's sort of like one more underlying sadness to bateau. Who's always kind of like, I did terrible things in the war and I'm rumpled and it's kind of like Mike from Breaking Bad, right? Like that's his whole thing. And one more thing is, and by the way I'm in love with another robot and I myself am a robot and it's pointless and I hate myself for doing it but I do care <laughs> about her and you know, whatever. Like he goes back at, you know, I don't want to ruin the end of the TV series but this, there's, there's some bits with a watch in there that, uh, that, that illuminate the same themes of the series and if you watch a second time you will realize that they were trying to tell you something with the watch and bateau's actions involving the watch and tachikomas oh yeah
3: you don't need to watch it you don't need to watch it a second time to get that if you're you're paying attention it's it's pretty clear that was that was actually the very first time when we get to that point that i actually saw oh that's that's kind of what they're going for um every time uh, before that when they were interacting and there was the tension for me I, i i just character wise i didn't see them as as sort of having that type of affection for each other, I just thought it was was more two kindred. Well, it's kindred. definitely
1: not for each other. The major is just. <laughs> I
3: just felt like they were two kindred spirits that were experiencing um, sort of this this loss of their their humanity and and trying to determine what they were now and. And I liked that sort of more cerebral side of it. and and yes, it, it is kind of an interesting thing to think about the 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 fact that you're still going to have emotions, even though you are inside this this great big shell. but it it didn't really hit me very hard until the very end there.
1: Yeah, and it's too like the the backstory that you eventually get for these is like so she was converted very young. and Bateau was sort of in the armed forces and was converted later, mostly converted for military purposes to be big and strong, converted piecemeal uh he is dealing with it uh, a fresher wound sort of of leaving his humanity behind but she's been doing it for a long time and is therefore kind of more alien and he is kind of grasping at her like they're both two sort of people drowning in cybernetics grasping at each other uh and i don't know why they're not grasping other people maybe because they're not full conversion cyborgs but like they're they're finding each other in this wilderness and she's like she is disaffected and, and going off in the movie into the realm of like, I am transhuman now and I'm just moving on. And he is like, I have these feelings and I remember what it was like to be human uh, and I I don't understand it. And can you help me with it? So it's like he's hanging out with her like a lost puppy and she is like <laughs> thinking about other things. So it is not it is not a bidirectional thing, no matter how you define it, it is more unidirectional. But they do they do lean on each other throughout the movie and the television series. John, uh, anything else we should talk about before we uh,
0: before we wrap it up? Anything else you'd like to hear from your your students, your subjects?
1: Uh, I'd like to know that you finished the TV series, and uh, I will warn well, you that the TV series is as I described. All <laughs> the, the episodes follow that format, and the middle parts of every episode where they talk about exposition are just mm-hmm. impenetrable. And that's part of why I wanted to watch the series because it is very challenging I... <laughs> in that regard. Like. Yeah. And no uh, I liked it I, I wouldn't, I say, really enjoyed I wouldn't it.
3: say they're impenetrable because I, I think that those sections were really all that kept me afloat in some of the some of the episodes was was the uh, either in the middle or sometimes at the end they'll have like a very brief you know couple minute scene where the, whatever two characters were most involved in the plot that they, they cracked that episode will stand together and talk about it and one of them will explain to the other one exactly what had happened in the episode <laughs> just in case you didn't catch it so I, I found yes there were definitely some impenetrable parts where they're just talking about you know this block and, and that mafia and, and and there's just a lot of convoluted nonsense coming. Mafia
0: on. Mafia Five is attacking
3: Mafia Three. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I, I appreciated those those parts because without that I really wouldn't have known why they were doing anything. And and you know in this case I, I knew why they were doing like sixty eight percent. Yeah, of it's it's
1: not artful storytelling because there are a lot of some things they discuss are important and some things aren't and in the time that you're hearing it you don't know which ones are important and which ones aren't which is going to be a major group that will be an actor throughout this entire television series and which am i never going to hear about again and they're all equal they all seem equal in the thing and it's not our full storytelling in the same way that george lucas having people sit down on couches and talk to each other is and it's like show me don't tell like it is the is the laziest way but they only have 30 minutes like the format dictates that they want to have these set pieces they want to have these events happen they gotta get a bunch of story in really fast and so they have people talk to each other without moving their mouths real quickly and then they move on and then the ending part explaining like in the end blah 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 thought that blah 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 but really this very sort of American television series like if it wasn't for you darn kids kind of exposition and that is much less artful than the movie but it has that I feel like it has that comfort food familiarity of again the A-team or like you said Miami Vice or like a, a sort of Ensemble crime-solving, interesting television series that is comfortable to just watch one of these thirty-minute
2: episodes, especially the standalone ones.
3: Yeah, it's routine.
2: It's very procedural. Yeah, you know.
3: Yep, yeah. but but then sometimes sometimes you get touchy comas.
2: Yeah, I didn't. Act, I did not actually care for the Tachikomos that much. I think oh, favorite, they'll win you over. My least favorite episode was the like the Day Out <gasps> episode. I, oh, I, I love like, that one. I was like, no, I don't. I'm, I'm done with you talking tanks. Why? Why isn't anyone picking up on how much trouble you guys are? I see this. You,
1: you should try the. If you haven't seen the other seasons, they get. They do get progressively worse. I have to admit. Uh, the first <laughs> season I think is the best. The second one is is okay, but it's kind of derivative. And by the time you're into Solid State Society, it's a little bit of a
2: mess. And then. Not I understand why they're there. They're just not there for me. So
1: <laughs> yeah, they, I, I think they'll win you over eventually because they do have some value. And then, uh, finally, they do the thing that I love so much. They uh, remixed and rebooted it. They have the uh, standalone complex Arise, which is a reimagining of the Majors' origins with a different animation style. I don't like it as much as this the original series, but I love seeing them. Go ahead. Try to tell that story again. Do them redesign the character, but have it be the same character. It's like a... You know, like alternate universe. Uh, I guess the whole uh, Jason can tell us about the Spider Verse and the different Spider Men. Like it's uh, the yes. same type of thing. You are Spider Man, but you're not Peter Parker. You are the major, but you look a little bit different and you have an entirely different. Like, how can you just keep retelling that story? It's like Legend of Zelda. There's you know, there's a new Link. It's still Link, but you know. <laughs>
3: and that's that 's another thing that 's kind of common to anime is that they don 't shy away from sort of what we would call the alternate universe type stuff you know they 'll just they 'll just do it if they 've got an idea, so you know it doesn 't have to exist in the realm of fanfic um, <laughs> like for most cartoons in the United States so i always I always found that fascinating to be able to just watch a different version of the same thing that I just saw oh that's neat
1: i think arise is like three episodes or six it's really short and you can watch it and i it, it's very instructive to think about in what ways is this not successful that the movie and the television series oh. were like because they do so many things very well but so many other things like oh you missed it that's not that you, you did you didn't get the major that i love and you didn't make a new major that i love you just kind of have major window dressing
3: mm. but you have
1: really interesting character designs and like you know, it, I, I just like seeing people take uh, multiple goes at the same story and the same characters, different styles, different directors, different writers, to see if they can find another angle on it. And, and, and in the way that I imagine people like the Spider-Verse stuff, where mm-hmm. if you like Spider-Man... Mm-hmm. You'll take him any way you can get him. Yeah. Yeah. You don't hold too sacred Peter Parker. You'll say, I like the Spider-Man too. In fact, maybe I like the Spider-Man better than the quote-unquote real Spider-Man. Oh, this Spider-Man was crappy. Forget about that Spider-Man. I don't like the Spider-Man that was all black. What about this one? You know, uh, what was that guy called? Venom? I don't know. I yeah, don't know. Sure, I, I, Jason can explain that.
0: No, I think I I, I love the that's the, you know a remix. Other ways of of tell of uh, looking at a story is uh, it, that can be a lot of fun. I, I when we talk about comic books on this show, I mean that's one of the things that comes up is the, the weight of continuity and saying, well, you know, we already said it was like this, versus telling stories that might be a little bit different but uh, good stories. And and so you know, taking a neat premise and doing something different with it and spinning it in a different way you know give it a try might be good might not be but
1: it might be i was reminded of, in Arise rise there's a character where they use nudity nudity and uh, skimpy clothing in a totally different way in the more traditional anime way and every time you see it you're like seriously seriously this is her outfit like it's just it's so over the top and there is no thematic support for it and it is not done with a higher purpose and it is more embarrassing than the majors outfit in season one and it's like how did this sneak into this show like, how did these people get permission to redo Ghost in the Shell? Did they they not understand what this character and series is about? Apparently not.
3: Are there any Tachikomas?
1: Uh, the, I think there are. getting
2: questions? Did you do any? Did
1: you see arise? Uh, anybody? Tony? <laughs> no,
2: nope. I did not. I did not. I, I think, think it's on all stre- the John. I think no. it's on Netflix streaming, <laughs> so maybe I will check. It out. I
1: think it's only like three episodes. It's really really short. It's I, someone where, in
2: the chat room said it was four one hour episodes. I think so.
1: Yeah, I think there were Tachikomas. It all kind of blends together in a giant ghost yeah. in the shell stew at a certain point.
3: The only the only part of, of any of it, the, the movie or the TV show, that actually like really, really got to me emotionally enough to make me cry, and I'm not going to say what it was because it comes kind of late, uh, was Tachikoma related. And I, yeah, I was weepy. So, yep, big fan
1: did any of you guys watch the dubs of like the movie or the television series the dubs are just awful on this which is a shame
3: there were a couple of times when i accidentally clicked the, the mouse i didn't realize it when the mouse was like over my vlc player and it switched over to the dubbing briefly and i was like ah, no, what's happening not, no make it stop it is
1: not good and not not just that the voices don't match but that i think they're not good voice actors
0: it's not no we can and we've said this before john you can't
1: um I can't judge how good the actors are in Japanese. I, but know, I can, can judge that they are emoting in some way. <laughs> like that they are not mechanically reading lines. And, and characterization-wise, the, the main characterization thing that drives me nuts is when a character does not have a perky feminine voice in the Japanese one, and they give her a perky feminine, feminine voice in the American one, Oof. or at least perkier or more feminine. It's like oh, same thing with the men. If a man is gruff and just never has an expression, and in the American one he sounds like Zap Brannigan, it's like no, that's not that's not the character. You could be saying Pig Latin. It doesn't matter. You're doing it wrong. Like you don't sound like the person. And that's the, the, That's the worst sin. I think Cowboy Bebop of all the dubs that I've seen probably commits those sins, but. It is watchable at least, but this I cannot. I can't watch the. Luckily, I haven't had to watch the dub of this. I don't think ever, uh, because I'm not showing this to my kids. That's, that's the main reason I yeah, watch well, dubs.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's not good. I saw I saw the first whatever first part of the movie, first twenty minutes or so, and that, and then I realized I need to not watch that anymore because it was awful.
1: Yeah, and the good thing is they don't they don't do a lot of talking except for in the big exposition section. So you can yeah you know. a lot of talking there though. Then you don't have to sit, you don't have to look at it. you can just read the subtitles. You don't have to look at the people sitting on the couches <laughs> and driving the cars. Whew. Yep.
2: <laughs> what a relief. It's like a comic book that talks to you in a language you don't know.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. You're welcome. You make me, that makes me like it that much more.
2: That's what I'm here for.
3: I the sound of of Japanese is just I find it incredibly soothing now just because of so many hours watching anime when I was mm-hmm. in college, um, so it, it it feels completely wrong to see this style. Even things that are made in the United States in sort of an anime style of animation that has never had the Japanese language associated with them, I have trouble watching that because it feels it just seems wrong.
1: Yeah, the the, the way there's a, there's a couple of tropes of the way Japanese characters speak, like the big bad speaks slowly in a sort of measured monotone type in, in japanese and when they do him in american he sounds like maniacal or like vincent price and it's like that's you didn't even catch the spirit of like i get somehow i give the the japanese tropes a pass because they're novel in some way to me i like hearing the big bad talk in that kind of uh way and i don't accept it in the, the u.s one so yeah it does it does sort of become soothing and exotic and like Sing song nonsense that you understand every 17th word out of, but uh, yeah. it's much nicer <laughs> than the American people sounding like they're from a G.I. Joe cartoon and they just went right over to the other sound booth and recorded the dub for this <laughs> anime series.
0: All right, I think we've reached the end. John, you can continue to ponder on your own what you're going to assign next. I will be doing remedial reading. <laughs>
3: Write your name on the board in yeah. Japanese. You still have <laughs> to write times. the paper,
1: Jason. So yeah, know. you know
2: you still have to turn it in late. Yeah, you right. have an incomplete. This is yeah, the, and know. that'll turn into I'm an F. Take if you it don't in get, summer school. And, yeah, I think uh, you've got six months to submit, or yeah. you're you get an F on your transcript, yes. Yes, permanent record, Jason.
0: All right. Well, until we meet again for another meeting of uh, John Syracuse's uh, Anime One Hundred and Three, perhaps uh, I want to thank my guest Tony Sindelar. Thank you for being here. Anytime, and Erica Ensign. Thank you for watching all the things that I didn't watch and some of the things I did.
3: <laughs> it was it was a uh, incredible math, is what it was.
0: And John, thanks for selecting these things. I'm sorry I didn't watch it all, but I did. I did actually like. I got a second wind and really got, started getting into it in the end. Starting with the series, so uh, I think I'm in a good. I'm going in a good direction. I think you're turning me around. I give you an E for effort, Jason. But
3: <laughs> <laughs> everyone
0: else in the class gets an A. Yeah. Woo. I think that's only fair. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. You are our uh, auditors. You do not get a letter grade, but you uh, hopefully your mind has been expanded. And uh, next time, sign up for your own course. Look in the course catalog for Professor Syracuse's Anime of Not accredited. No, not, a, <laughs> not a university. For the Incomparable Podcast, I have been Jason Snell. Goodbye.